Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn Awardner, and in this episode, I'm joined by chef and now author, Ian Haste. If you were listening to A Pod A Day in May, you may remember an episode I did where I talked about my favourite go-to recipes for nourishing, tasty meals. Um, I know a lot of you made a few of those salads. In that episode, I talked about a book that was coming out in the near future, the premise of which was to create a week's worth of meals from one supermarket visit with zero waste. The book is called Seven Day Basket. The author is Ian Haste, and I'm delighted that he's joining me on this episode to tell me the story of how he came up with such a brilliant idea. I heard about the book quite some time ago, actually, and immediately loved it because... I am someone, don't know about you, who does a food shop, but never really feels as though I've got everything I need. Like I'll do the shop, get home, put everything away and think, now what? I consider myself to be a pretty decent cook. But what I tend to do is go to the supermarket, get things I think are healthy and hope that the combination I've chosen will sustain me for as long as possible. But the truth is, it never does. And I'm a pop to the shop kind of a girl every single day, which gets tiresome and boring and expensive. So the idea of being able to fill a single basket with a selection of food that would make a week's worth of meals really appealed to me. And I said it on the podcast back in May, I feel this is the book that I've always needed in terms of cooking and just basically feeding myself. And I know a lot of people got in touch to say they felt it was a brilliant idea too. Some of you may be thinking, Ian Haste, why do I recognise that name? And if you follow me on social media, it's very likely you also follow Nick, his wife, who is one half of Pixie Woo with her sister Sam, who's been on the show twice, and is at Nicola Chapman on Instagram. They have a joint social media account called Haste House, which is well worth a watch and documents everything from their exercise routines, renovations and their current topic, slugs and snails. Uh, the mind boggles, but anyway, <laughs> it's, it's fun to watch. Back to the book. And I want to explain why I'm excited about this, just for my own life. When I heard the idea of the book, I was intrigued and excited at the idea because of its practicality. The fact Ian would guide you through the aisles of a supermarket, whether that was in-store or online, and eliminate the dithering. I'm sure we've all done it. You stand there dithering, whether it's calculating price or whatever it might be, but you dither. I do. The idea that via his experience as a chef, he could tell you what to put in a basket that would take any guesswork out of meal planning and the shopping process and just make life easier just was brilliant. I really was like, yes, please, this is what I need. I basically need someone to hold my hand through this. Then this week, um, I was explaining the book to somebody 
And I had a bit of a light bulb, light bulb moment where I realized it's a cookbook that I'm excited about where the premise isn't about weight loss or eating clean or eating a certain way to lose weight. It's not trying to cheat the system. And I think that's what I've been trying to do with cooking for ages and it hasn't worked. The focus is on nourishing yourself, feeding yourself good, balanced, healthy food and making meals that you not only enjoy eating, but enjoy making. And then the book arrived and do you know what happened? I got really excited about making food. <laughs> I got really excited about making these meals. I got excited about cooking. I read the recipes, I read the instructions, and I just got really giddy about the idea of making this food. So as I record this, there is a supermarket delivery on its way with my very first seven-day basket on the lorry. <laughs> I chose the light basket, by the way, and I'm pumped. I'm not going to lie. So in this episode, Ian and I chat about the journey to this book, which isn't a straight road by any stretch of the imagination. There was a career in business development, his time as a chef, taking his chef into YouTube and a lot more. And what makes this book so authentic is that this is the food he and his family eats. You just follow that Hayes House account on social to see that. So here he is making his debut on The Emma Gunn Show. I'm delighted to welcome Ian Haste. Ian Haste, I'm very, very, very happy to have you on the show. Lovely to be here, finally. <laughs> finally, I know. <laughs> it feels like it was always destined to happen anyway, because Nick's been on a couple of times. Exactly. I think it's six months in the making, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We're getting there. We are getting there. We are getting there. <laughs> now, um, we are talking today primarily because your book, The Seven Day Basket. Oh, this one here, just here. <laughs> the one that is in front of us. And I don't think genuinely and it would be a very easy thing to say because you're sitting right in front of me I don't think I have heard the concept of a book like this and been as excited because it definitely feels like what I've always needed that's so good to hear because that's essentially exactly what we wanted it to be um you know we started this concept you know it's been a year in the making mm -hmm. um and when we first come up with the idea you know, coming to Kaleem, the publicist, and sort of putting the idea out there, and it snatched up straight away, and it was quite apparent then that everyone's going to be quite keen to get their hands on this. Mm. So, yeah, it's been the hardest thing, is actually trying to keep the thing quiet and make <laughs> sure, you know, in the chef world, it's very clicky. So I've had numerous ideas over the last five years, mm -hmm. which you wouldn't believe how many of those have gone into print. Oh. Which, if you've got to get, get there first, basically. Right. Um, and that's been with some of the biggest chefs out there. It's hilarious to see how it happens. It's that clicky out there. Right. So to keep that quiet for a year has been hard. And I mean, I've had some top chefs saying to me, so what's, what's the, I'll give you a lovely review and I'll write a nice wording for it, but what's the, what's the sort of like the, the narrative of the whole book? And I'd be like, nah, I can't tell you. <laughs> that's been hard. That is hard. What was the original germ of the idea? Do you remember where you had it? Yeah, so if we go back, flashback five years ago, um, me and Nick and the kids went to live with my mother-in-law. Um, we were renovating a barn in, in Heatherset in Norwich, and I need to go back and sort of plenty of like work to do on there. So we went back to Nick's mum's, and um, we started doing food shops at the local Tesco Metro, which is like a petrol station with a store on the side, purely mm -hmm. because that's the closest thing, mm -hmm. and it was the easiest thing. Um, so... I started going in there and every evening I would see the same group of people. It's next to a university, first of all, so it was like a student group in there. But I'd see the same people on there on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, mm. all buying the same sort of things mm. and putting this eclectic mix in a basket. And then for me, it became very apparent that the days of... I, I, look, I look at food as a chef. Mm. So if I look at a basket of food, I can see five, six, seven meals. Whereas a lot of students, and not just students, but the, 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 the majority, they look at food groups as in they see a packet of chicken, I'm going to make chicken tonight, 
They've not <laughs> thought about Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and mm. Friday. And usually that chicken goes out of date on the Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah. So I came up with the concept, really. It was called Student Bible, first of all. Um, which I th still think is a genius idea out there because I still think people could take a student Bible for their first years at university and they'd be passed on the book next two, day. Book, book two. two. Um, but yeah, then we came back and we, we, we crashed out ideas here and that's where we come up with the seven-day basket. And so you, so it, the zero waste thing is part of it, isn't it? It's like it's buying, it's shopping clever. And I know I've done, I remember the first time I did, a, did an online shop, it arrived and I unpacked it and then I was just like... That's very dissatisfying. <laughs> I don't actually feel like I've got anything. There's food in the house, but I haven't got meals. That's it, because you've gone through and ordered things in individual forms. Mm. Now, as I said earlier, when, I, when a chef looks at food groups, they look at as many things they put together. Mm. Hopefully, you know, if you take this shopping list to the shops, everything's in aisle order. You can go around the shops in dairy, um, meats, um, tins, spices, so mm. on. Fill your basket up, go home, and you know you've not got that whole problem that you get with so many book cookbooks where you get halfway through a recipe and it says, add sumac. And you're like, well, I haven't got sumac. I haven't got any saffron. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So you leave that recipe. So hopefully people will use that, go home, and make sure they can use it for the whole seven days. And <clears throat> I remember, uh, I think Nick's was saying on stories a while ago that... Um, you went round lots of supermarkets and actually tested out the theory. And like, if I go to this supermarket and if I go to that one, if it's a metro, if it's a big mega store, can I still achieve the same thing? Yeah, because essentially, if you, if you work at how supermarkets are and the way a shopping list works, we try and do things in a fruit order, don't we? Or a veg order, mm. meats, dairy, fish, tinned, breads, eggs, mm. frozen. That's mm -hmm. pretty much how they work, isn't it? Because mm. I've tested it too many times. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, they're done in aisle order, just so that it just there's nothing worse than getting to the end and going, I forgot some grapes. Not that there's yes. grapes in any recipes in any of the <laughs> um, And you approach it. You said you think about it as a chef. So let's talk about your chefing background, because this was maybe we should come onto it because it, we, if we go back a little bit further, this wasn't what you were doing 15 years ago. No. Um, so let's go back. Uh, so 20. I've just turned 43. So 23 years ago, I was a head chef at a local pub. Um, started off with pulling pints, washing the bottles, d doing just general kitchen stuff, really. Mm. Um, there was a couple of lunchtime services where I helped out cooking, and then one day the head chef called in sick and thought, well, do you know what? I can do this. I've got, I've got enough knowledge now. I've done mm. about six or seven sort of like stints in the kitchen. I thought, you know, let's have a little go. Mm. It, was, it was a quiet lunchtime. So I had a go at cooking, basically, and, and held my own. I did something like 20 covers, I think it was. And then I worked way up and we started doing about 150 covers. So it was Yikes. a busy restaurant. And then I realised it wasn't for me. I love cooking and I love the passion behind it. But the reality of it is really hard work. Mm. And it's really hard work to earn a lot of money from it. Because mm. you're doing so many hours. Um, and it becomes your whole life. So I went back to what I studied at college, which was information technology. And then I took that approach back to you know, looking for different work within that sort of avenue. So... I got contacted, I landed a job with uh, an American print and software company, um, huge company, and I was a business development manager for them. And I worked and commuted to London for the best part of 10 years, um, traveling backwards and forwards. And then forward on, a few more years, myself and my wife, my wife works away with her work quite, quite a lot, so mm -hmm. um, we watch our kids. And it was quite apparent at the time that me commuting, commuting backwards and forwards to London just wasn't going to give a child the best future or I'm not going to see much of the child. Because mm. um, so let's I, talk about, just for commuting, this isn't just a, a long commute, this is 
over four hours in a car every day. Yeah, it was pretty bonkers. But you know, <laughs> but then I was a young lad. Like you know, I had a nice car and a good living. Mm. It was it was I was so career hungry mm. that I wanted to get as high as I could at that business, and I did it. You know, I got as high as I could possibly get within that sort of avenue. Um, without going to directorship or so on, mm-hmm. but it was it was ridiculous. Um, it was a, a lot of work. So yeah, we decided that we were going to have um, our little boy Harry, and I said to Nick, "I'm going to jack in my job," which was probably the most weird feeling in the world. Yeah, I'm going to be a home dad. That seems like <laughs> a good idea. Um, but we were, very, we were very very confident Nick's career was really bounding at this mm. point. So I thought, you know, we're comfortable. We can do this. It's fine. So I started being a home dad. And then it got to a stage, I thought, what can I do from home that would keep me so that, you know, we, we had, we, we're from a family of YouTubers where I'm not a YouTuber as such, but I come from a family of them. So I knew what they were doing as to set it up. And I knew there was new ideas still out there five years ago, probably not so much now, mm-hmm. but it was a time when, uh, was it? well, ba- basically what I wanted to do is I wanted to have a little go at doing some health food online. Now this was pre-Deliciously Ella, so... There was nothing online. Jamie was doing comfort food. Mm-hmm. Um, the hairy bikers were doing pies and their pasties <laughs> and their, you know, gaining weight sort of thing. <laughs> and I thought, well, there was nothing really online which worked as with my ethos, which was really much, I suppose the word then was clean eating, which mm-hmm. I hate the word now, but it's because it got trashed by media. So I thought, I'm going to do a few healthy eating videos and put them online, see how it goes. And it got really good hits. That was really weird. And they're terrible videos. <laughs> Never watched my first videos. You know that when you say don't go and watch them. You will watch yeah, them. Yeah. It's, it's like my little fresh face in a kitchen. Just terrible mic, terrible sound. It was just, it's pretty bad. But yeah, lo and behold, it got hits. And you know, I, I would say partly because I'm coming from a family. So it's expected for it to do okay, maybe. Mm. And then I got asked to do a job for Asda, for Mum's Eye View. And it was Nick and Sam to be in the kitchen and I was going to be the chef like Saturday kitchen and come and cook for him. <laughs> and it was, I loved it because I realised then actually I can cook and I can present because I presented for business development for, for the best part of 10 years. So I can mm. stand up and talk to anyone. Mm. Absolutely fine. And so then it's got clicked to me. Hang on a second. Why don't I just be a chef presenter? Why don't I just combine the two? Mm. So I went back home, invested in more cameras and more gear, all the gear, no idea, <laughs> and set about doing some videos. And from there, it spiralled, really. Mm. Um, I had Jamie Oliver got in contact after two months, offered me a contract within... He had this thing called... Um, he's had a food network, basically, which was mm. called... Just throwing a blank there, am I? That's all right. We can't be expected to remember everything. Food tube. Food tube. There we go. Don't know why that completely erased itself from my memory. <laughs> Always when you put a microphone in front of me. <laughs> Um, yeah, he had this. Um, he basically ring led all the up and coming chefs within the country, mm. from um, people in pastry through to people in salads, people in health, mm. which I came into that bubble in. And he ring led them all into this circle and started this beautiful thing called Food Tube. But I thought at the time, Mister, I know it all. I'm going to be all right. I've got an idea here and it's going really well. Mm. So I went alone and just did it myself, and didn't earn any money for like two years. But it was it was I knew there was an idea there mm. and I knew if, if I knew with YouTube if you have an idea and you stand by it it will work out if you're just doing it for just trying to you know make lots of money it's mm. you're never going to get there you need to have a trade there as mm. such. so I suppose that's where we ended up up to modern day really it's all just gone crazy and the thing that I want to unpick here because <laughs> it's 
the listeners won't be surprised, is it's this work ethic. Mm -hmm. Like when you talk about um, working in business software development and doing the presenting, um, you mentioned just almost quite off the cuff, you know, I, I worked my way up. And so I wonder if you are a goal setter, if you're somebody who... Do you enjoy the graft? Do you like, I don't mind coming in on the bottom rung and I'm going to earn every step to get to where I want to be? Yeah, I think my whole family say that I've always been a grafter. Mm. I've taken so many different directions in my life work-wise. It's only because, I don't know if it's, I, I, I want to do the best, but I definitely give everything 100%. Mm. And I think one of the funniest things that I did is when I, my mother-in-law um, wanted to move house a year ago. Mm. yeah a year and a year a bit ago she wanted to move house and I said to her she couldn't find anything she wanted sadly she'd lost her partner mm. um, so she wanted to downgrade a house and she wanted something with character but modern and um, also within a budget and also be easy to maintain and it'd be local to the shops and it had this huge area of scope which was never going to get what she wanted really it was a property unicorn wasn't it it was a unicorn yeah it was made out of dodo feathers um but we found this property which was sort of like it was modernist oldie sort of outside and she said that she wanted to get i said look it's not gonna be big enough for you as it is but what i'll do is um i'll build you an extension off the back and take the walls out and i'll I'll convert the kitchen into this beautiful sort of like church sort of like kitchen and i'll I'll take six months off off work and i'll go and get it for you because she couldn't afford it in a budget so Mm. i wanted to try and make sure she could so lo and behold i put the the digger, the, the digger to work and got, got it spades into the ground, started digging the trenches out, started pouring the concrete, and then I got my book deal. <laughs> and I said, they want the book in seven months? And I was just like, ha, ah, okay. This is going to be a fun one. So I was, yeah, I was building the house and then writing the book and then building the house and writing the book of an evening, basically. Do you think that actually made both projects a bit more interesting? No, it, was, it made, I don't know how I've got a wife, if I'm honest with you. I really do think that Nick... Okay, she thought I was an amazing guy because I was building her mama house. Mm-hmm. But she also thought I was absolutely mental trying to write a book at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's where that earth work ethic comes from. I think there's always been... I kind of like to help everyone, which is a bit of my downfall. But also, that's my character. Why is it the downfall? Well, I don't know, because you can sometimes take too much on. Yeah. Yeah, if you know what I mean. And you always want to be the best at what you can do. Not competitive. Why well, say opposite? <laughs> but uh, to take too much on and give of yourself rather than looking after yourself. Yeah, definitely, mm. definitely. So that was a hard, that was the hardest seven months I think I've had for a long while. And did you have, because you didn't have any experience of writing a book, did you have any experience of laying foundations and building yes. extensions? Yeah, yeah, so I've renovated houses for, oh, I suppose I've done five now. So yeah, I can tile, I can do electrics, I can do plumbing, I can do basic block work, I can sort of get by. So yeah, I can, I can do most things on a house. Do you like to be able to, but you wouldn't um, pay somebody to do that? You're like, I want to know how to do it. Yeah, I've got this weird temperament where, I think Nick's the same as well. My wife's the same. She, she wants to learn things. But if I want to do something, I want to study it and learn it through mm. and through. Yeah. Because I always say, you get a plumber in, but they just bend a bit of pipe and put water through it. And that sounds really, really... But that, that in, in, its, in, its, in, its, in its limited form is what they do. Yeah. You know, going beyond the electrics and that. that but mm. they do bend pipe and put water through it and connect them. Well, I've done brick and brack. <laughs> Sorry to all the plumber listeners. Oh, dear. But I'd like to think that you can have a go at... What's the point of not having a go at something? And usually you can learn it if you have a good couple of goes. Yeah. If you saw my first properties, they were really bad. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they fallen down now. Terrible. <laughs> terrible places and I felt bad the moment I sold them but 
Yeah. What I'm curious, what kind of a learner were you at school? Um, good. Good for my first nine years. Mm. Then not so good. I was in set A for absolutely everything and worked my way down to... <laughs> <laughs> like within a year, I just destroyed myself the first year as a high school. So yeah, um, academically beforehand, I was great. I did my first year at school before going to school. Yep. Um, did fine all the way through high school. <laughs> and I had fun. I just think it's interesting with learners. You're, um, you're a bit like me in that mm-hmm. um, you, if you can figure out how to do it, you would like to do it rather than get someone else to do it. Absolutely. Or if someone else is doing it, you will watch right on their shoulder so that you can do it yourself next time. I bet you did it with the podcast, didn't you? Totally. Yeah. YouTube videos? <laughs> All day long, all saved as bookmarks. All of the ones like, how do I, how do I upload a podcast? That's the thing with YouTube, you never, you never take your car, and if you've got a little warning light now, what do you do? Google it. Yeah. So I can do that myself. I can just reset it quickly. That's very true. That's yeah. very true. So, anyway, we digress. <laughs> we digress a bit. No, it's fine. It's all good. Please tell me about being a chef doing 150 covers. It was at a gastro pub. Yeah. You work there full time. Yeah. Um, you, I uh, don't know how to come around to this question but um i've worked in restaurants as a waitress back in the day and most of the chefs were a bit douchey mm-hmm. in a very warm and lovely douchey way yeah like we they earned their douche status it was all good fun and games but you don't seem like a no there's no doucheyness <laughs> at all well i think it's, there's this that's definitely changed yeah 22 years ago we had the ramsey sort of like nightmares and mm. it was like very much um structured to if you got to head chef that you'd always not bully but that your sous chefs and your under chefs would always get the, the crappy jobs and they'd right. get the, the shouted at, I think. Mm. But no, there was never like that in the kitchen because I looked at it, it was a gastro pub, so it wasn't really rocket science. It was, you know, there was a lot of Blake's food there, so there was, there was certainly microwave stuff going on. There was certainly <laughs> some dings and um, it wasn't over complex, if you know what I mean. Mm. Anything that was over complex didn't really stress you out mm-hmm. at all. So, yeah, I think it's just be nice to people, isn't it? True, true. I'm just bringing, I'm just projecting onto you my experience. There's a lot of douche. But, but now, you know, these days it's not like that. The chef world is very, very different. There's a massive amount of respect out there. And I think people respect the chefs for what they can do. And there's a lot more, you, you don't get a Michelin star if you've got an angry chef community like area. Mm. It has to be very much loving and supportive and getting people up to the, the skill level that they need. Because the kitchens have become quite visible, like you say, with the reality shows, people like Gordon Ramsay. Definitely. Do you think that contributed to the change? 100%. I, th- I think it's detrimental to, to your workforce. If you've got a stressed workforce, stressed waitress, straight, um, stressed barman, mm. you know, taking food backwards and forwards, and you've got, to, you've, you've got to look at that and think to yourself, well, hang on a second, how am I going to make this a warmer environment for the, the guest, mm. essentially? And that, that's a cog that all goes together. To, to make sure that plate of food goes through the kitchen and goes out to a nice happy waitress mm. or waiter. <laughs> so you create these recipes, you create these shopping lists. So now you're quite hands off with the food delivery system in the sense of you've just, you give the instructions. Um, what, what's, what of you is in the book in terms of the recipes? What's like very signature, Ian? Everything's signature. So basically the, the book is seasonal. And when I mean my season, I don't mean every single food item in there. But what I hope to do is that it's weather dependent. Mm. So the, 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 the book tells a little bit of a story. So the start of the book starts with January, February, March. So historically, the, the human being eats with, with their feelings. So we look outside and see a, a wet, rainy, cold day. Mm. We go for heartier type food. Mm. Forward on to the summer months and you've got this beautiful sort of sunshiny day. You don't want to be eating a... Um, 
a beef bourguignon casserole or a, do you know what I mean a, a, a Maldivian mm. curry you want to be eating something that's going to be sort of like lighter and fresher so if you open the book at the middle you're straight into your your, your lovely salady type things mm-hmm. open the end start drifting back towards that sort of Christmassy time mm. and then on that level again this is this book is exactly how I eat Right. Really. So it's got meat free Monday, which is kind of a big trend thing at the moment anyway. You've got two or three different sort of vegetarian dishes the Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And then we steer back to how we do as a culture. So we want to have our takeaway meals on Fridays and Saturdays. Mm. So I've done healthy Middle Eastern kebabs. I've done the, the beef rendang for a Saturday night. So two sort of curry mm. kebabby type things. <laughs> and then every Friday and Saturday is like that throughout the book. Yeah. And then go on to, on to a Sunday. Um, I've always said when I had my boy, Harry, that... Every Sunday we sit down for a, a Sunday roast. And that's happened every Sunday, within reason, mm. for the last seven years. And I think that's how we now, as families, certainly, and couples, on a Sunday is, is that heartier roast sort of mm. meal. So every Sunday throughout the booth is things like giant Joden, <laughs> giant toad in the hole. It's got things like rack of lamb with um, um, braised cabbage. It's got um, roast pork. It's got a roasty type dish every Sunday. Mm. And that was really important to me because that's how I eat. Mm. And then also the knock-on effect of that is that I personally don't like having sandwiches for lunch. I don't really like the stodgy aspect and the, the mm-hmm. fact it makes you feel quite slowed down yep. in the middle of the day, which is the time of the day you want to get that peak of energy. So within the book itself, there's quite a few of those where it's, it's teamed up to make you seven recipes, obviously two portions of each per mm-hmm. evening. But most of those will have a leftover, if it's a leftover micro, microwavable dish. Mm. Obviously, sea bass and noodles isn't, so mm. we've, that's just done in portion control. Mm-hmm. But things like there's a... Um, We've got beef bourguignon in there with some charred cabbage. We've got some um, sausage cassoulet, which is... All of those are more hearty, but mm. beautiful, heated up the next day. And mm. how much better is your lunchbox going to be when you get to work and you have this, I don't know, the Maldivian chicken curry with rice and your mate's got his Wolves, wolves hot dog <laughs> <laughs> and a shitty-ass sandwich. You know? <laughs> so what if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, Ian, I can't even spell beef bourguignon, let alone cook it. How have you made these recipes? What's the skill level? Are they organised by different skill levels or can anyone make all of them? Okay, so I run a YouTube channel, mm-hmm. which um, I listen to my viewers completely. So I ask them, first of all, um, what are their staples? Everyone... You probably have staples. Mm-hmm. Probably sure it's going to be spitty bolognese. It's going to be fish and chips one of those days. It's going to be <laughs> mac and cheese maybe. Uh, lasagna. Um, what was the other one which came up really common? Oh, it's curry. So there are your five staples, which nearly... I, I did a poll on YouTube and, and Instagram and said, give me your five staples, mm-hmm. okay? Because I want to understand how complex they were going to be or how easy they were going to be and whether or not they should go in the book. And 100% they have. Mm. Because... If you leave that, as a chef, I don't really want to be making spaghetti bolognese because <laughs> I could do a lot more than that. Yeah. But it has to make the book, and I've tweaked all of those recipes because it has to make the book because I'm listening to the viewers mm. and they're the easier type recipes they want to do. Mm-hmm. So from that basis, we then worked on the fact that I wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to be 20 minute meals. There are 20 minute meals in there, plenty of them, but that is something which we're losing within our culture, whereas we want to rush everything in the kitchen. The mm. kitchen's very much, for me, as an enjoyable zone. So I've written the recipes so that even the ones which take two and a half, three hours, it takes you 10 minutes to put the dish together. Right. Yeah? Yeah, so yeah. you're not stressing about, oh, God, I've got to sit here for three hours. Mm. You put that dish together, put it in the oven whenever you want. You can still enjoy that same time, but it's important for me to know that you're going to get the most beautifully created dish way better than what it is to do it in 20 minutes. Mm. 
you've got taste, you've got meat breaking down, you've got all the things that happen when you give it a little bit of love, mm. a little bit of time. So speedy things do work for the busy people that are home, but also the slow and a little bit of love things really work as well. Mm. It's it's lingering on it, isn't it? You're, t- you're bringing it back to sort of not food theatre but like enjoyment of it as you say not just kind of quick packages and eating the second that you walk in the front door it's like actually I'm gonna and is it about for you and we've talked about this in the podcast before with other guests about the nurturing element of food like you say bringing that back so actually it's a it's a form of self-care in the same way um taking time and attention on your food and how you prepare it and how you shop is almost the same as the work that you do in the gym or the the time that you take to make sure that you rest every week absolutely i, th- I think <clears throat> we've lost somewhere over the last i believe the last 20 years our way of cooking as a family and getting people in the kitchen getting people to cook things from scratch i think jamie oliver's done one of the best jobs because you, you watch how he is with his children mm. and i think that's really apparent nowadays which kids don't have a clue about how to put things together and that's us that's us that's, that's us our, our, our age group that mm. started that and it's something which I'm really keen to change to sort of see you know this element back in our kitchen it hasn't always got to be this rushed what's for dinner affair it's more like hang on a second we can all be involved with that process and it's mm. kind of nice to get the kids making their own breads get them making their own pizzas because they'll bloody well eat it if they make <laughs> it mm. that's the thing yeah and with the uh, with the book is it a case of you know what you're going to be eating for the seven days ahead because obviously you've shopped for it? And when I thought about that, I thought genuinely, I don't think I've ever in my 41 and a half years ever thought about food that far in advance. Well, this is the thing. I'm going to open the book now, so this is no good for the podcast, but I want to give you an idea of how I structured this. So we've got warming, mm-hmm. we've got round the world, we've got relaxed, we've got spicy, variety, comforting, summer, twist, veggie and light. They're all different weeks. So I like to think that you can go and think, what do I feel about on a Sunday? I'm going to do a food shop tomorrow. What should I get? And you and your partner or whatever you are mm. can just go say, right, let's have a bit of a spicy week. Yeah? Oh, I want to nice. have a bit of a light week. I want to have a bit of a relaxed week. Yeah, quicker recipe weeks. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So hopefully that's what you get from the yeah. book. And hopefully this is ever-evolving because I'd like to do many more of the seven-day basket. Yes. That'd be the plan. So how many weeks are there in there? seven? There's seven, yeah. I mean... Sorry, there's ten weeks. Oh, so you... Yeah. That's what? That's brilliant. That's three months, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so you've got enough. And then in three months' time, you want to buy another book. <laughs> Headline, yeah. if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you're going to have to... And then as you're writing the second book, you can, I don't know... Put build another a, house. Yeah, build another house. Um, you are also... You've talked about it. You have Hayes House on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So we get to see inside your beautiful kitchen. Mm-hmm. I really like the um, drawers the apothecary drawers yes yeah it's a funny story of that go on well I'm not sure if it's that funny actually I just tell it and think it's funny myself it's just more <laughs> annoying um, so when I was living back at my mother-in-law's I was converting the house at the same time and I really like the idea of this haberdashery counter cabinets mm. and there's a place in London called Paper Mill Studios and um, these beautiful apothecary drawers and these beautiful works so I'm going to have that in my kitchen keep it a nice little secret mm. it's going to be my filming kitchen so I want to make sure it looks really nice on camera it looks really quirky and cool so I contacted this guy to get it made he drew it all up for me priced it all up started getting it made started putting it in the kitchen and then it's, it started to get built so then me and Nick went back home to mother-in-law's and we're watching Jamie's this is his show must be about three years ago now 
and he was filming in Paper Mill Studios. No. <laughs> yeah, and then the last, the very last shot was the pan out from him <laughs> to these apothecary drawers with him just sat there in front of him just like this. And I was like, ah, everyone's going to think I've copied his drawers. <laughs> so I sent Jamie a message of the picture of these drawers and showing him what I've had done. And he goes, how would you even know that? Because this was filmed so much more in advance. I said, because I found this studio called Paper Mills. Is that where you were filming? And he went, yep. I was like, what are all the chances? So I've got copy drawers, basically. <laughs> Do you feel that seems like a bit of a theme? You have you have an idea ahead of ahead of the curve. Mm. Yes, yeah, annoying. Is it though? Yeah. Oh no, I have an idea ahead of the curve usually, and then someone brings it out before me. But that's why I'm so glad to get the first zero waste cookbook out there. Yeah. So zero waste it is about the fact that I mean I do it all the time. It's usually bags of pre-made salad, but they just. But if you're clever when you shop, that salad will last you seven days, easily. How do, how do I do that? Just put it in, a, in the colder section of your free, fridge. Uh, <laughs> so all you want to do is adapt your temperature. It has controls. <laughs> freezes your friends. You know, this is what I talk about in the book many, many times, that we've lost our chest freezers. We've lost these things which we used to hide and try and get to the bottom of as kids. Mm. You know, get your things in your freezer as soon as possible. And then you're not going to get any wastage. Use your fish up early or freeze it. Mm-hmm. And follow the book. Get the book. Buy the book. Buy the book. Zero waste, buy the book. Yeah. Um, you are also very healthy and you're into fitness. Mm-hmm. And I said to you before we started recording that Nick's form in her burpees makes me very, very jealous. And usually when she puts videos up of you guys doing them, I then just go into her DM swearing because <laughs> she just does so many and makes it look very, very easy. Um, fitness is obviously a huge part of things too. And I, I feel like nowadays a conversation about food kind of goes hand in hand with how you look after yourself in terms of fitness or exercise. Certainly. Um, I've trained since I was 20. So I've, I've had on and off patches where I've got mm. a lot bigger or a lot smaller. Um, <laughs> but it's really important to me. Certainly with, um, Nick was diagnosed with MS what, the best part of seven years ago now. Mm. Um, six years ago now, sorry. Yeah, six years ago now. Um, and so it was really apparent then that fitness had to be upped a little bit for mm. her as well. And not to say that Nick wasn't fit, but she didn't have the best diet and um, she didn't really train that much. And now we are moving on, you know, this six years later and mm. she's so, so fit. It's ridiculous. And, and we both train every day. Yeah, and you had, so you'd already moved into the um, cooking full time at this point and then Nick gets diagnosed and when she came on the podcast she talked about you know she eats a bag of kale a day because she absolutely loves it and so there's an element with you as well where you really did do your research in terms of how do I keep my wife healthy how do I look after her based on what will work for her mm-hmm. um what kind of what kind of rules and changes did you make to the diet to accommodate that well first of all that sort of knock to your your system and your family life is mm. probably one of the most um, hardest things you ever have to deal with because you've got to see your wife suddenly going through this what if what's going to happen mm. you know and she was in such an amazing part of her career still is luckily mm. that you you instantly think you don't care about anything else in this world apart from making that woman um, the mother of your children as well as possible whatever it takes mm. so we looked into all sorts and I, luckily I had quite a lot of knowledge my, I lost my auntie uh, to multiple sclerosis when I was 30 um, so I knew a lot about it I knew about the different variations that you can have so there was lots that I could put out there to Nick to make sure that she understood that things are going to be okay but we're not sure what's going to happen progression wise really mm. so we went in to see we looked at loads of people online we looked at TED Talks we looked at Terry Walls who's um, a phenomenal doctor out there who 
really turns medicine on its head and shows that um, she was probably the first person to talk about gut health, and this is six years ago. Mm. You know, no one knew anything about gut health. All papers on gut health have been written in the last two years. Really? So, yeah, this woman is is um, pretty up there mm. on her knowledge, and she talks about eating brassicas and greens and kales and broccolis in a in a in a in a, a larger form in a in a uncooked cooked ways and what it does for your body and how it works with with the brain and how your you've got a small amount of brain in your gut mm. and that little piece of brain basically triggers how you digest your food how it comes through it decides when it's going to go into its different pocketed areas mm. and it was quite apparent then that hang on a second she's got something here she was out of a wheelchair by now and walking around and looking healthy and fit and eating these, these these foods now a lot of these foods I wouldn't particularly want to eat I don't want to eat liver every day I'm not a big fan of offal mm. and nor was Nick so we had to be realistic but we looked at all the things that we knew that we could get into our diet that I could turn into how was I cook as a chef anyway right. which is how toad in the hole was our thing we had giant toad in the hole with spelt flour and a bag of kale mm. every day with a sweet potato for we should eat it three times a week really and so it was, it was a case of just working with what we knew to make sure that we could sort of improve our health with fitness as well. And we went to go and see someone in London who's probably one of the best, I'm not sure what his word is, what he'd be, he's not a nutritionist, but he knows how to test anything that's imbalanced in your body. Right. And that's generally what any of these things is, certainly with autoimmune, it's, it's an imbalance. So mm. it, it's, it's triggering something in your, in your nervous system to attack rather than settle. Mm. So yeah, we, we looked into we went in to um, have a scan and sure enough there was lesions on the brain and from that day Nick knew she had it anyway because her dad sadly mm. um, passed with an MS so um, yeah we set about a diet structure for her which she stuck to like you wouldn't believe she pretty much stopped drinking straight away mm. um, drinks gallons of gallons of water every day we put in a zip tap which is like the filtration yeah. system so that the best water you can get and then worked on, on on her diet, and yeah, I suppose from there, you know, she did. She took, she went to hospital and turned down standard medicine, which is a, a cancer drug basically in its mm. truest form, and said, "Let's give this a go. Let's not take the drugs. Let's see what six months brings." Because remittance, um, um, MS remittance, basically can mean that you have an attack and you might lose, say, her eyesight for the day, or right. for, for for a month, or two months, or six months, or nine months. But usually, you go back to a percentage of what you had before. Right. That might be not minimal, so she might only get 93%, which mm -hmm. is what she had come back. But that was a better risk than taking a cancer drug, which we have got no idea what it's doing, apart from stopping the MS slightly. Right. Stopping the MS is not always the best thing if it's doing a lot of other things in the background, which is damaging to your mm. body. So, yeah, that's where we went. We, we lit, I remember we was coming back from the hospital that night, and we wrote down recipes, and... We stuck to it, like left. Just there was no straying from that at all. Obviously, she could have her enjoyment. She likes her chocolate occasionally, mm. um, and she has, she has you know occasional sort of like food that she's not that great for her. But other than that, she is regiment with it really. Mm. I suppose that's how it carried through to the book. Yeah, you know, the, the, I, I, I can't call it a health book because it's not. It's a balanced book. I like that. Yeah, it's not. I'm not into just it being this, this strict regime of. You know, there's so many books out there where it's like five ingredients and it's just like, well, that's all very well, but mm. I'm about taste and enjoying things, not overeating, but keeping my fitness up. Well, this is the thing. It's the balance and it, it is a healthy book because you're nourishing yourself really well. And I guess the component parts mean that you're getting what you need of 
your carbs and what you need of your proteins, what you need of your fats and everything. Yeah. Plus a load of greenery. Um, I'm curious, when you started to see the diet having an impact, that must have been... You talked about, you know, obviously wanting to do anything mm-hmm. to make her well. That must have been quite powerful. Did you develop a new relationship with kind of food and what you put on your plate and how you prepare things when you could actually see it having a positive impact? Um, yeah, 100%. So for Nick, it was it was really trying to boost her greens. So that was kind of the easiest thing is if you can do that mm. and make things taste nice, it was quite easy because kale by itself is quite bland, isn't mm. it? And quite woody, so... Just started putting white wine and a bit of honey in there and instantly it tastes lovely mm. so I think from there it was it was more I started culturing my recipes I suppose a little bit around what we both want to eat if mm-hmm. that makes sense so I started doing way healthier curries with like literally four bags of spinach in it and it wilts down to nothing mm. so you do a chicken sag mm. so it's in the book um, <laughs> but yeah that sort of thing and yeah you start writing your recipes around what's going to make you feel better but Nick you said about sort of like how do I feel about when she started to feel better that wasn't really apparent for quite a long time right we kind of knew we were doing the right thing but we didn't know yeah really yeah it was a, it was a, a massive gamble that we put on ourselves that is an attack going to happen we don't know but we worked on there's, there's something called um, you knowing your your hits basically so you can you can you know your nose so if you start getting really hot you start getting sort of tingly hands and things you know then to sort of like stop Right. So we worked on all those bases so that she was always in this controlled environment where she knew how things were, were going to go to make her feel better. Mm-hmm. She got she has to sleep loads, loads more. So she would sleep. I would do the night shift with the kids every night for pretty much five years. Mm. So I knew that that's her sleep time. And then we start going back to see our, our guy in London. Um, and that's when we start seeing the difference. So you, you do these, these, these tests on your finger, which is basically putting electrodes for your hands, which monitors livers, kidneys, fats, proteins, everything mm. that goes on in your system. And, it, and it's, it's kind of an old method, but you have this thing where you want to try and get it down to 50, 50 and 100%. Mm. And Nick's was so far off the radar, first of all, but taking her supplements and eating her food, you could just watch these two areas just slowly closing in. Mm. You think, so, Christ, this is, this is working. Mm. And her energy just suddenly like that just went up and she was suddenly like being told never to squat in the gym again which was her passion to lift heavy weights and she's so hardcore with those sort mm. of things to suddenly to to say to someone no you can't do it was that trashed her mm. that made it so hard and then suddenly she was in the gym squatting racks like doing burpees 100 burpees a day what's that about <laughs> talk about one extreme to the other that's made me feel tired even you just <laughs> saying the words and her form, her form is perfect. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, I'm sort of interested about the coping here, just because uh, we all have, like, information that can knock us, and it does seem to be that you're just very optimistic and go, right, well, what can we do? Yep, mm. this, is a, this is an obstacle, but what can we do? Has that always been the case? I think that's a case of both of us bounce off each other like that. I'm not always like that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I can be quite negative in some ways, certainly. Um, but that's when we both work really well together because mm. we both have that sort of idea of saying, well, if, if Nick's going to be negative, I'm going to be negative. We look for a solution around it right. rather than both being like that, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not always the confident sort of um, outgoing person. No, but uh, yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. But sometimes I just think it's that um, the muscle memory of just going, okay, this is bad, but now 
we shall be positive. Yeah, I think you always have to look like that in illness as well, don't you? Yeah, and also just even from the sense of, like, the commute, the building the house, the writing the book, it's like, well, let's meet this challenge head on. Mm -hmm. That's the theme that I'm definitely getting from you. Can we talk about um, nutrition and kids? Because obviously you have two gorgeous kids. Mm -hmm. I was going to call them babies then, but they're not babies. They're not babies anymore, it's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any rules or do you have anything nutrition-wise that you really stand by in terms of feeding children yeah um don't force it into them personally mm. um i've always found with mine if you get them involved they will eat it mm. it's, it's, and that is its simplest form if they make something they will eat it if you put three veggies out they'll eat one of them mm-hmm. if you put one veggie on the plate they won't eat the veg mm. if you put seven out they'll eat three <laughs> guess what put eight on they'll eat four mm. so that's the way i've always worked out from, from harry when he was like first starting to you know, um, weaning him onto his sort of like solids, we put a roast dinner down in front of him. So all the different veggies he got, so braised cabbage, broccoli, peas, runner beans, all these different textures and colours in front of mm. him. And it, for him, it was just like, ah! <laughs> it's like a playground for him. Yeah. It's not just green. It's yes. all these vibrances, all these colours of the rainbow in front of him. So he's just like, wow, bit of gravy on there. And he would just plonk away and eat it. Yeah. Then we did that with meatballs and we did it with pastas and we did it with other food groups. And as long as he was busy with it and mm. there was lots going on, we could then pick out the elements of what he liked. Mm. And then I wasn't going to make him eat things he didn't like because there's no real point. So I think with nutrition, it's really important to give overload them with things and then working out what they like. Mm. Because it, the variety is the best thing to give them. Yeah. And that definitely works with, with, with kids. I like the idea of um, giving them a rainbow of choice. Mm, absolutely. And those different textures and flavours and cook them in different things. So al dente will do them in soft mm. so they can understand, you know, different textures. Yeah. If you had, like, your top three or your top five pieces of cooking advice, shall we say, what would they be, whether that's about how you how you shop, but obviously you've got the book for that, but just in terms of, um, yeah, your, your advice for cooking. If somebody feels like, listen to this, as I did when I heard about the book, I thought, God, I don't really think I've ever actually thought about like my shop or what I'm cooking I just sort of go with what's in I think the first thing I have to say is just um, look at your fridge as your friend (laughs) make sure you understand where everything goes keep everything aligned and keep everything that you've opened either go straight back into the freezer or keep it towards the front so visibly you know that that's not going to go out out of date or Mm -hmm. waste and then I would say as far as cooking is concerned I'm a big believer is get everything ready first of all yeah don't start going through it and just getting bits and pieces and adding it when it needs it. Get everything ready so it's all in front of you and it's going to be so much more structured and quick. Like a cookery programme where you've yeah. got your... Yeah. Have it there, have it prepped up. Just use your chopping board with your meat, chopping board with your spices and your herbs and veg. Just add them as you need. Have mm. it all chopped and done. It makes it so, so much more enjoyable. Really? Have your glass of wine then, can't you? And just enjoy <laughs> it. You're not stressing about everything. Um, are there any ingredients? I know obviously you've got the seven-day basket, but are there any core ingredients that people should have in their house? all the time come what may okay so it was really important for me to write three pages on spices mm. so I'm a firm believer I, I buy two spices a week and it's a regular thing and I have a big spice drawer in that apocryphal carry drawers <laughs> but as far as I was concerned is that if you add two herbs and spices to your basket each week at the end of the year you'll have enough herbs and spices to make pretty much any dish you want mm. if you use a tomato base or a coconut milk base mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm. so that was really important to me to make sure that you get I don't know what it is but why people just have like thyme tarragon these basic herbs dried mm. herbs at home 
why not just buy all these powders? We've got, we've got this massive influx in this country now over the last five years where all these beautiful spices are coming over. Mm. Get them in your cupboard and get, get using them. And a dried spice is okay? Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah, dried thought, spice is absolutely fine. I thought you were going to throw the book at me. No, no, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely fine. I would, I would only use them for certain things, but I would prefer to use fresh. Mm. But for things like your you know, turmeric, your, um, there's so many different dried spices. I have a cupboard full of them. Mm. They're brilliant. Um, if you... You've got the book, obviously, but like, let's be realistic. We have to sometimes eat on the hop. Mm-hmm. What about eating from shops, the high street, like pre-packaged food? Do you have any sage advice? Obviously, you're not coming from a place of eating clean or like being super healthy. You're just coming from a place of nourishing yourself really well. Speed, you mean? Yeah. That's what you're saying. Um, I challenge people on this, to be honest, quite often. I think I can make a chicken curry in 15 minutes. Mm. What does it take to heat up? What, six, seven minutes? Mm rice is four minutes so yeah I, I always think I'd, I'd never buy a prepackaged food really saying that I have bought prepackaged mashed potato we'll forgive you just for laziness <laughs> for the but, kids but have you then zhuzhed it up have you then like grated something on oh, it I put off? milk and cheese in there it's for the boy <laughs> Get them nice and big and strong. But what about things like like someone who's listening to this who hasn't got um, their packed lunch with them at work and they're going to go out and they're going to buy something at lunchtime? Do you do you pay much attention to what you can get on the high street? It feels like there's a load more variety and choice than ever before. But is it like is it decent or is it actually better to prioritise cooking your own? Oh, no, you're in London, so you have. I would probably not bring a packed lunch, mm. but I would go out and buy something from one of the regular sauces, but mm. I probably always have curry and rice. Mm. That's my absolute lunchtime thing. And I never frown on anyone for having that for their lunch. I was going to ask, actually, what's your favourite meal to cook? But I wonder whether you've just given me the answer. I love my roast dinners on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. As I say, I do them every Sunday. We may need to ask about your gravy, actually. My cheats gravy or my normal gravy? Well, just the gravy that I keep seeing on Instagram stories that, that did make me... <laughs> That's cheats gravy. Okay. Yeah, so that is... So if you want to make really quick gravy, mm-hmm. it's in the book... Let's keep plugging that book. The link to buy will be in the show notes, <laughs> listeners. Uh, Cheats gravy is uh, three cloves of garlic into a pan, half a bottle of red wine, two large sprigs of rosemary, uh-huh. boiling water to the mm-hmm. top of the pan, and just a standard, like, normal gravy granule. Oh, and one beef stock pot. Mm-hmm. Whisk it together. Put, don't put your gravy granules in yet. Reduce it to about three quarters, and then add your gravy granules. And it will taste nothing like a, a, a crappy bisto. Oh. It's infused with garlic and the rosemary and the red wine and it reduces down and it gets thicker and it's just like, you'd never know. Do you put the garlic in whole yeah. and then mash yeah. them in? And Don't mash it. No. Nope. No, just leave it to do its thing. The rosemary will scent all the way through it. It will taste like rosemary, garlic, red wine gravy. Oh. You'll be like, what? How's that happen? But make it in a bigger batch. So a big saucepan. Don't be scared about making it big. It's got to be big mm. to get the reduction on it, mm. and then stir in your granules right at the end. Just it's just a thickener. That's all it is. Yeah, I don't. I believe gravy. Like I, my food swims in it. When I make gravy, it's like I make two or yeah, three. Yeah, I want down my chin. Yeah. Absolutely. I want a white shirt. that's absolutely ruined. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I try to eat it all right, no, but I don't. just like a no, big boat of gravy. Um, uh, what else do we need to ask about the book? Because I, I am excited about it. I do think, as I said, when I first heard about it, I thought I've never strategically shopped. I always go in and think about what would I like? What do I fancy? What's on offer? Um, 
But that's fine to do that. Mm. I think it's good to see what's on offer as well. But you know, most of these things in the book can be swapped out. You know, most of the chicken can be swapped out for anything else that you want to use, you know, mm-hmm. dairy or um, sorry, meat-free options. Yeah, I think it's important to do that and then just walk through with a little shopping list. Mm. Right, so... It's going to change your life. I genuinely am going to live and die by the book. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, well, just hopefully live by it. <laughs> Best just to live by it for now, really, <laughs> till book two. Because um, I really want to try it out because I haven't, like I said, this is an experiment I've never tried. Any other book I've ever bought about food has always been with the, with the view of losing weight or eating a new way which is never sustainable and this is what really appeals to me about this mm-hmm. is it's a, it's a sustainable way of eating yeah. because it's not restrictive absolutely and it's we know the pleasure center gets uh, activated when we eat and you've got your different you've got your 10 weeks so you've got as you say your spicy your comfort so i can kind of have a bit of a say in how i feel <laughs> Well, exactly that. You should be able to flip through and say to yourself, right, I feel like this. This is going to be the week ahead. Mm. And hopefully, there'll be weeks that you don't like, maybe. Mm. Hopefully there's not. But there'll be weeks that you prefer to others. Yeah. Maybe because of the longer cooking time. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that should be, you know, how you start planning your week. I need your address to send you the book. Okay. We can make that happen. Or I'll just come round and pick it up when you've got some gravy on the go. On Sunday. (laughs) And I'll do some burpees with Nick. It's amazing how many people pop over on a Sunday. Also, your Yorkshire puddings look huge. Yeah, I do like a big Yorkie. I do think that um, Yorkshire puddings should be filled with gravy. That's also a thing of mine. I did that with the, well, that's what I do with the toad in the hole. Oh, that right. holds, it holds it all as a cylinder of gravy until you cut into it. Right, okay, um, I'm salivating, listeners. The link for the book is obviously going to be in the show notes, which can be found wherever you are streaming and downloading this episode. Ian's YouTube channel, the links will be uh, in the show notes, as will your social handles, including uh, Hayes House. Yes. Where you can see the innovations, elbow pads as knee pads, <laughs> what is it? the fan as an irrigation system. You know that wasn't mine, don't you? Oh, was it not? No, that wasn't mine. Can you imagine? That would have electrocuted me. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I just thought that's so clever. I had 300 comments. Oh. It was bonkers. You're going to end yourself. Yes. Right. Um, but yeah, if you want to look at home renovations, all, all of that kind of stuff, all of the links will be in the show notes. Ian, I'm so glad that we did this. And I'm really, I genuinely, not just blowing sunshine in an area because <laughs> I know Nick and think the world of Nick, but I genuinely think this is a genius idea. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that chat with Ian. Before you go, I just wanted to say that if you do want to get in touch with me, which would be delightful, I do love hearing from you, just email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or slide into my DMs on Instagram or Twitter where I am at at Emma Guns. And if you want to have a conversation with me and other listeners of the podcast, then click the link in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you're streaming and downloading this episode. And join the Facebook group, Answer Two Questions, and you can have chats galore with your fellow podcast listeners and with me. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next one.